Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. He doesn't even mention that stuff. He says they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. Hey, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. So why does he bring it up? He's just saying it'll be business as usual. It, just like when Noah was building the ark and, and people were watching it and conversing with them and he was warning them of what was gonna happen, but they just went on like everything was gonna go on. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Forgiven, Cleansed, and Prepared. We take up where we left off yesterday in Luke chapter 17, this time starting in verse 11. Pastor Sam is discussing what Jesus said about the cleansing of the 10 lepers, and then some sobering words about the coming of the kingdom. So let's listen in. I had an interesting experience down in Juarez. In fact, I had many interesting experiences down in Juarez, but one of them was getting to well, room with a bunch of guys. Ordinarily, I won't sleep in a room with another male unless he's my grandchild. But they put me in a dorm and there's like 15 guys in there doing the hallelujah chorus with their snores. And uh, apparently I'm one of them though. And I, well, I hope I'm in tune is all I can say is. But, but here's what happens in the morning. I, I hear the shower go on and there's just two showers and one toilet, 15 guys, gals are across on the other part. They have about the similar situation. And then I hear what I think is a scream and I'm thinking, guys, don't scream. And, uh, but, but apparently this one does. And, uh, and, and so what happens is it turns out there was no warm water. There was no hot water. There was just cold water and colder water. And, and so if you turned it on warm, you got cold water. If you turned it on cold, you got ice water. And so, uh, so well, we, we kind of had a designated showerer, but I don't want to spend too much time on all this. But I do want to say that, that Fellas, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. And here's what I've noticed. Guys have this sort of weird thing that, that we do with each other because someone gets out of the shower and you're like, was that as cold as it, as, as it sounded? And, and he's like, no, you know what? I got to tell you, it was just starting to warm up as I got out. <laughs> now I'm like, I know you're lying. You're supposed to speak the truth in love. But it's just in us, you know, we're mischievous and we want others to feel our pain. <laughs> but there's another issue here, and it's the, the greater issue. And that is, well, you know, if you really were in a freezing environment and you began to feel no pain, that's not a good thing. They call that hypothermia. And if you're ever in the snow and you're trying to keep moving and you're lost somehow and you start to, to sit down and start to all of a sudden feel all warm and, and like everything's going to be fine. It's not. Get up and run. You're going to die. That's what happens. That feeling that everything is okay, it precedes death. And the same thing's true spiritually. We can say, I, but I, this feels so good. And that, that's the crazy and, and most horrific part, I think, about sin. Unlike leprosy, where you don't feel anything, sin actually brings pleasure. And the Bible says so. God doesn't ever lie to us. He doesn't say, oh, you won't like it. Don't try it. No, we, we like it. And that's why we have so many problems with it. Sin has pleasure for a season. But afterwards, the suffering, the consequence, the pain, the shame, the alienation. And that goes on and on and on. And if not repented of, it goes on and on into eternity. So here's the picture. Ten lepers. Ten people whose only friends were one another. 
They stood afar off. They lifted their voice. They cried to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw him, he said, go show yourself to the priest. This is a very strange response. He doesn't say, I heal you or be healed or, you know, any of that. He just says, go show yourself to the priest. Now, there's provision in the law of God for what you're to do if you're cured of an incurable disease. I find it interesting that God even put that in, but he probably knew what he was wanting to do. And so you were supposed to show yourself to the priest so the priest could verify you were actually cleansed, no longer a leper, which is impossible, by the way. And, and two things were supposed to happen. One, you would be restored to fellowship in the community. The second is the priest would know that God was moving in your midst. See, this is not the work of man. No man can cure a leper. No man can heal a leper. No man can cleanse a leper unless that man is Jesus or unless well as we saw in the Old Testament we have an example or two where where God moves through someone to do the work but the work was still God's work well he says go show yourself to the priest so it was as they went they were cleansed this makes my earlier point when he's saying hey you got all the faith you need faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God all you need to do is obey and every time Jesus tells someone to do something in scripture and they do it the outcome is positive. The outcome is good. Oh, maybe with one exception. And I guess there's some good that comes even of that. Perhaps the greatest good. But that's when he tells Judas what you do, do quickly. I mean, he knew he'd betray him. He knew what he was up to. But, but, but the, the issue here is he tells these guys, go show yourself to the priest. They're about to be restored. They're about to be cleansed. The priests are about to have a witness that God is working in their midst. So it was as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. One of the ten returns, begin to thank God, praise God. He's on his feet before or face before the feet of Jesus. And this is what's supposed to happen. Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. But then he asked a question, were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? I mean, we have this Samaritan, by the way, a hero in the story because he not only walked by faith and found forgiveness and cleansing, restoration, but, but he came back with a grateful and thankful attitude. That's something God's looking for from us. As you read Romans 1, it's a horrific picture of, of just depravity. And it just goes from bad to worse to, to worser or whatever's worse than worse. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and it goes down. But the first rung on that ladder that takes you down into the abyss is ingratitude. A lack of thankfulness to the Lord. And so this guy comes back and he's praising the Lord and he's thanking Jesus. And he says, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Were there not found any who returned to give glory to, to God except this foreigner? And he said, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Well, here's the deal. We go from forgiveness and Hopefully you've experienced it. We go from cleansing something Jesus came to do, not just to forgive us, and, but to cleanse us. First John, we often quote it. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we're two thirds of the way through the message and we're two thirds 
of the way through the themes. The third is to be prepared. If in fact you've been forgiven, if in fact you've been cleansed, now you need to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. And I believe the Lord's going to come for us prior to the judgment he pours out on this Christ-rejecting world. I think that that's a biblical uh, principle that we're expecting the rapture and then the wrath. But what he does is, is in a moment he begins to talk about the kingdom and he talks about judgment. He talks about the things that are going to happen. And it all starts when the Pharisees ask a question and it says in verse 20, he was asked by the Pharisees, remember, religious conservatives, very spiritual, outwardly self-righteous, inwardly. They ask when the kingdom of God would come. Now, his answer has confused many. So let's make sure you're not confused by it. He says to them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. We're going to look at the signs that precede his coming. But, but what he's doing is he's, he, he's saying to these Pharisees, he's not saying this to everyone there, he's saying it to the religious self-righteous leaders. The kingdom's not coming as you suppose. Why? Well, he tells us in John 3, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's as if Jesus is saying the kingdom isn't something you merely watch for. It's something you enter into and experience by faith. It's something that enters into you and takes control of you. You're not just going to watch and see it. And see, their idea, their concept of the kingdom is Roman rule is crushed. Israel is exalted. They have places of prominence and preeminence that all of this stuff they imagine. Listen, the kingdom will come. And the confusion is that, that it seems that he's saying there won't be a physical, literal, observable kingdom. We know that can't be true because there are too many passages in the Old Testament and in the New that say otherwise. And even here he goes on to talk about the physical, literal, tangible kingdom and the things that will precede him establishing it here on earth. So he's just telling them, listen. And by the way, there is something else interesting. The word observation here. It means a critical, hostile watching. He's saying you're not going to find the kingdom or see the kingdom or enter into the kingdom, nor will the kingdom enter into you if all you're doing is trying to find fault with me. No, the reality is they weren't going to see it because, well, they weren't born again. And with some exceptions, most of them would not be born again. Well, then he said to the disciples, so he answers the Pharisees. Now he turns to his disciples. The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus is simply saying here to his disciples that though the kingdom will be physical, it will be literal, they'll be a part of it. We know the rapture will happen. We'll spend seven years up in heaven in that place he's been preparing for us, the Father's house. Then we return with him where he rules and reigns upon this earth. But, but in between the rapture and the return, well, th there is going to be a time where people are going to be saying, 
well, he's over here or he's over here. Listen, they're already doing it. It's a preview of coming attractions. Jesus said in the last days, many false Christ, many false prophets. John will later call them many antichrist and point us to the one leader called the antichrist. But, but all of that to say this, the issue here is people are going to say, hey, Jesus is back or the Messiah is back. And, and Acts is very clear on this, Acts chapter one. It's this same Jesus, not a Jesus or a Christ, but the Jesus, the Christ, creator, savior, you know, sustainer, uh, Lord, master, hero, our, our everything, our faithful, holy, high priest, Jesus, that same Jesus, this same Jesus, the disciples were told, will so come in like manner as you've seen him go. How did he go? He ascended up into the clouds. How is he coming? He's coming in the clouds. And he says it's going to be an event that Everybody sees the lightning's going to flash, just like lightning flashing from the east to the west. Everyone will know when Jesus returns. So when people say, oh, he's out in the desert, he came back, but he's in the desert. He says, don't you believe it? Or if they say, well, he came back, but we weren't ready for him. He's in an inner chamber. Don't believe it. Why? He already warned us. And here's the craziest part. People actually say those very things. You think they'd at least read the Bible and make something else up. But they don't. They say, oh, he came back and he's in the desert. And I said, well, Jesus said not to believe you because right here, let me show you. He says, don't believe it. And then years ago, maybe 20, 25 years, I can't remember. It goes so fast. If you're 20 years old, 20 years went really slow. If you're my age, 20 years goes really fast. And, and, and so I remember these ads. They were in the London Times, the New York Times, the, the LA Times. And it said, the Christ is here now. Some of you remember that? And, and it's, uh, he was going to talk to us telepathically. And, and he was going to communicate with all of us. We wouldn't even need our TV. He was just going to connect with us. And, but, but here's the thing. It's like, well, where is he? Oh, he's in an inner chamber. I'm like, I mean, I already knew it wasn't the one, but be wise and make something else up. But anyway, he, he tells them that, that his coming will be visible, it'll be tangible, observable. But first, and these are such important words, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This is the part they really couldn't process. They could, they could maybe understand God establishing his kingdom further in the future, but the suffering, the rejection, the death preceding the resurrection and the ascension and then the return. They never really put that together till after he was raised from the dead. They just couldn't really make sense of it. So he tells us what to expect, what we'll be seeing, what the times will be like. And he really fleshes this out as he writes to Timothy. Matthew 24 does a very good job on it. But, but we'll take what, what we have here in Luke and, and we have just a few more minutes and I want to get to that clip with you. So it says, as it was, verse 26, in the days of Noah, it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. Now we know that the thoughts of men's hearts were wicked continually in Noah's day. Things were so bad, the idolatry, the immorality, the depravity, so bad that God flooded and destroyed the entire planet. It can't get any worse than that, but it can get that bad again. And that's what his point is. But what intrigues me is what Jesus actually says here. He doesn't even mention that stuff. He says they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. Hey, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. So why does he bring it up? He's just saying it'll be business as usual. 
just like when Noah was building the ark and and people were watching it and conversing with them and he was warning them of what was going to happen. But they just went on like everything was going to go on until that's the key word until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. I think Matthew's gospel says took them all away. It's an interesting picture for us. Well, in any case, we know what many don't, that Noah got that ark by building it. It wasn't just that God said, here, here's the plan for your... No, he gave him the plans for his redemption, his salvation, his protection, the preservation of himself, his family, and all the animals. And he built it. Why would he build an ark? Because God told him to build an ark. What sets him apart from the rest of his generation is faith and obedience. It would be inconceivable that God wasn't warning people that judgment was coming. But they disregarded the judgment. They just went on like it would go on. Well, being prepared, and here's what I see here, it's more than having an escape plan for myself. It's making sure that I do all I can to ensure that all I love will survive as well. And that includes all of you. Man, I want you to know him and, and to obey him and to be secure in him because when the flood of judgment comes, it will be worse than the days of Noah. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, he gives us two people who were both prepared. The second one, Lot, he's kind of a surprise. Who would have thought that Lot was a righteous man? I mean, he moved his family toward Sodom and then he moved his family into Sodom and then he spent some time and worked his way up in Sodom. He became someone there. And then the angels come and they tell them, hey, this place is going to be destroyed. You got to get everyone you have, everyone who will listen to you and get them out of here. And it says, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Again, nothing wrong with any of those things unless this is your last day on planet Earth. Probably doesn't make sense to try to finish that last little project because... It was about to all burn. Now, this is localized. Noah's flood was universal. You put those together, the coming judgment will be universal as Noah's was and as devastating as the fire and brimstone that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, it says, on the day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he was on the housetop, and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. Likewise, the one in the field, let him not turn back. He's saying, listen, you, you cannot hang on to that stuff that's temporal when judgment is coming. You can't focus on, oh, I don't want to leave without my stuff. Hey, your stuff's going to burn and you're going to burn unless you get out. That was the case there. He says it will be like that again. Then it says, remembers Lot, Lot's wife. Not only can't you... Go back. You shouldn't even look back. And if you don't remember Lot's wife, you need to read the story. It's sobering because Lot, he, he tells his wife and she leaves with him. He tells his daughters they leave. He tells his sons-in-law. They laugh in his face. They just mock him. They think that's ridiculous. Judgment's coming. God's going to destroy Sodom. Hey, we've been living like this forever. If he was going to destroy it, why would he wait so long? And they, but, but here's the, the horrible part of all of this. Is that, well, picture this. The Lord sends an angel, peers to you, talks to you, says, listen, 
God's going to destroy Chico tomorrow morning. And you better get the word out. Go and talk to anyone who will listen to you. Now, you might have some friends and family who will listen. They come here. They've heard all this. They believe that judgment's coming. But if you really want to make an impact, what you got to do is get down to Channel 24 or 12 since they show the same news. And then a uh, big community. But anyway, um, you know, you go down and you say, hey, look. I had some angels appear to me and judgment's coming and it's coming tomorrow. And so I just wanted to see if you could interview me on the news so I could warn all the people. Do you think they're going to let you on the news? Aren't they going to call mental health? And aren't you going to be in there with, you know, telling people, hey, judgment's coming tomorrow. And those other guys are like, yeah, I know, you know. And, but it, it, it's like they're not going to be, be listening. And, and here's the, the tragedy in the midst of the part that, that we can laugh at it, it, the absurdity of, of saying judgment's coming. People are like, hey, everything's just as it was. I don't see judgment coming. God says it's coming. And, and, and here's the, the, the deal is, is that Lot's wife looked back and, it, and the implications are she looked back longingly. It was all about she, she, her heart was still in Sodom, though she left and she was turned to a pillar of salt. So, so he says, don't go back. And then he says, don't look back. And then. Well, later, and there's not much time, we can't develop it, but Lot's daughters, well, you find in them that you can take the girls out of Sodom, but you can't get Sodom out of the girls. These girls were influenced by that culture. Lot had no witness to his sons-in-law. He didn't have the influence he needed to have in his own wife's life. He had his daughters, but they end up getting him drunk and sleeping with them to produce offspring, all that because they are imagining that they're the last people on earth. Imagine their surprise when they meet other people, you know, and, but the, the tragedy there is none of that had to happen. And I think it all comes back to Lot, who God says was a righteous man, but nevertheless lacked the influence he should have had. Well, finally, he says, and the issue in these last verses are, are, are unity and separation. There will be two. It says two men in your Bibles, but, but the word men should be italicized. It's a clue to you. It's not in the original. What he actually says here is, I tell you in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Some say the one taken goes to judgment. The other left is in the kingdom. There, there are plenty of places where that could be, uh, you know, substantiated or v validated. Uh, others say, no, it's taken in the rapture and the one left is left for judgment. We know that's going to happen as well. And, and so uh, you can pick and choose, but, but here's what you need to get for sure. There's a separation. The day comes, two are together. Well, the night comes, two are together in one bed, one taken, the other left. Two will be grinding together, one taken, the other left. Two in the field, one taken, the other left. This reminds us it's universal, this judgment. Why? Because, well, it's light someplace and dark somewhere else. People are sleeping and others are working. It's a universal judgment. And they answer and say, where, Lord? And he said, wherever the body is, the eagles will be gathered together. Well, here's the ultimate issue. That when judgment comes, there's a separation and when the word of God is shared, there's a separation. There are those of us who believe it and respond to it. There are those of us who don't believe it and we just disregard it. And, and today you get to make that decision. But the decision you make will determine what happens in this day, the day described here. Two can be side by side. One's going, the other's staying. And, and the bottom line is you're either going to be with the Lord or separated from the Lord. You're either going to be blessed for eternity or you are going to suffer for eternity and God made it possible that you could be forgiven so you could be cleansed and prepared.
I have noticed three different reactions from people when the second coming of Christ is discussed. One is disbelief and dismissal. The second is fear. The third is joy and excitement. How can you be excited about the end of the world, I've been asked. Well, I do not fear God's plans. I choose to rejoice in them. If I fear for anything, it's my plans. I have two verses to share with you regarding this, starting in Proverbs 16:9, where it tells us that a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, I fear for my own plans, for they are anything but sure. And what I want my heart to do is to be set on his way, and I don't want my plans to distract me from his. Secondly, let's look at Psalm 105, where it says, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. I choose to rejoice for God's plans, regardless of what they are, because they are inevitable and unescapable, and because he is always good, why would I want to ever escape them? The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.